Hi, this is Pastor Frank. I just want to welcome you to this Bible study. This Bible study is the Rapture Part 3. Now, if you haven't listened to the Rapture 1 and 2, suggest you go back and listen to that because these all three go together and they make more sense when you listen listening to them all together. Now, when I hear most uh, people talk about the Rapture, specifically pastors and Bible teachers and such, there are recycled scriptures, recycled reasoning that um, I try not to follow and try to bring something fresh every single time I do a Bible study. I don't really like uh, recycling uh, theology that people come up with that is an accepted view uh, of just Western Christianity. I like to do the whole gambit of of the entire Bible, the whole counsel of God. Since I've been studying Judaism uh, more often uh, in the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible, it has been making a difference in the deeper knowledge that the Bible gives us that I've been raised with in order to be able to figure out what's really being said here and all the things that Jesus uses when he tells us about these end times or eschatology, which I think is extremely important for us to understand what the scriptures are saying, what it actually means, and to really reduce the fear of this doctrine, if you will, about the rapture. Some believe it, some don't. But I think that if you listen to the rapture part one and two and then listen to this one, I think uh, you'll start getting a, a larger picture of it from the Old Testament, because if you don't think it's there, it is. And it's not necessarily to prove the rapture. I really already believe that that is going to happen anyway. It's just a way to be able to see what God's fingerprint is, if you will, and to see the way he has shown us in Scripture his fingerprint of salvation. This is how we know that it's him and not anything else. So let's get into it. I first want to make a statement. I am a firm believer in the rapture. So God makes himself known by what he does and speaks. As I said before, I believe that God has a metaphoric fingerprint, if you will, in the Bible narrative. So God's fingerprint means a distinction from any other cause, whether it be natural or man-made events and explanation. Sad to say, most Christians don't look for uh, the deeper meaning in history of redemption, let alone have an interest in learning it. Traditionally, we leave it to the pastors, the leadership to teach us, with a very few questions and a little or no Bible study. If you're a Bible-reading Christian, then you are familiar with scriptural cross-referencing. Inductive Bible study is to induce and investigate what the original meaning to its readers and to what the writers originally meant. Just as a doctor will induce the labor of a woman giving birth, this will cause the birth of the baby to come about. I can say with confidence that if we become regular readers of the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible, we can learn more about Jesus rather than the agreed tradition within Christianity. I say all this because Jesus himself spoke of this in the book of Luke, chapter 24, 44. It reads, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. If you paid attention to the scripture I just read, the law of Moses is the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, referred to by the Jews as the Torah. The prophets are the minor and major prophetic books of the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible. The Psalms is one of many books in the category of the writings. Jews refer to this as the Ketuvim, or the writings. 
Jesus never used the word rapture. This is a modern word used to describe a large body of biblical writings. So it's really no different when we use the term encyclopedias. The definition of the encyclopedia is a book or a set of books giving information on many subjects or on many aspects of one subject and typically arranged alphabetically. So the term rapture embodies a large narrative of redemption history and an imminent aspect of God's judgment and salvation concerning eschatology, or end times, e.g. the second coming of Jesus Christ. The term rapture is actually harmless. Just as we use the terms everyday in church, hermeneutics, or exegete, those terms are not even in the Bible, but we use them as Christians to describe the Bible and explain it. Bible teachers and pastors fail in many ways. One of the ways they fail is not to teach their congregation to compartmentalize and rightly divide the truth without using scriptures to build a gospel message unto themselves. In churches today, all we are are spectators and listeners. We're not doers, and we don't study the Bible. This is where the Bible teachers and pastors fail to teach their congregation who Jesus Christ is. So the rapture itself is a section of eschatology, but in the department of prophecy. The scriptural structure throughout the whole Old Testament or Hebrew Bible focuses on rapture-type salvation methods of God. Now, there are many of them, and at some point I'll do a Bible study on them, but the one I'm going to focus on in this particular Bible study are the trumpets. So to give you a little bit of history uh, from the Old Testament about trumpet or trumpets, the oldest trumpets possibly date back to ancient Israel. It is the hollowing out of an animal horn such as a ram's horn and as far back as 1500 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. In Exodus chapter 19, the word trumpet is used in the New King James Version, but in the complete Jewish Bible and the Orthodox Jewish Bible, it's called shofar. And this is used in place of trumpet. The shofar in Judaism, it has great significance. It goes beyond the Christian understanding of the New Testament scriptures. The narrative in Exodus chapter 19, it's very important to understand when it comes to the trumpet or shofar. So here in Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 20, it reads, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thundering and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. The sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by a voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai, on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. When I first read this passage of Scripture, I thought the priests were blowing the shofars, but no, the sound of the horns was coming from heaven. Thunder, lightning, and a thick cloud were before the blast of the shofar. The Lord had ascended on Mount Sinai, and the blast of the shofar became louder. There is more meaning to this passage of Scripture, but I want to focus on the shofar. Exodus chapter 19 ends with verse 25, and it reads, So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. Now, in Exodus 20, the very next chapter, 
God gives Moses the law, or the Torah, Ten Commandments. So this is not merely just a grand entrance of a smoke and light show. This context has a significant type shadow and symbolic nature to it. Before this in Exodus 12, Pharaoh tells Moses and the Israelites to leave Egypt. Fifty days later, this narrative picks up here. So if you've ever seen the movie The Ten Commandments, and when all the plagues of Egypt happen, and they're leaving Egypt, and then you see where they take the blood and they put it on the top of the lintel and the sides of the doorway, this is the Passover. This is what leaving Egypt uh, was in the movie. And so the narrative picks up right after in Exodus 19 when they are traveling from the exodus of Egypt to Mount Sinai is 50 days. The Jews observe this as Shavuot, which means Feast of Weeks or Seven Weeks. So 50 days after the exodus of Egypt is the Seven Weeks. We know it as Pentecost, which is Greek for 50. I know for some of you this is brand new to hear, but all of this is in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, and God has given us as the type and shadow and symbolic nature to reveal Jesus Christ to us in this time. And the more we know about Jesus Christ, the more our faith can grow in the promises of God. Shavuot is observed after Passover, as I explained. Exodus chapter 12 is the Passover narrative, and it goes until Exodus 20. Right at the beginning of Exodus chapter 20 is where Moses receives the Ten Commandments. And if you read Acts chapter 2, you will see the exact same thing. In the Gospels, there is only one related reference to the trumpet or shofar, and that's Matthew chapter 24, verse 31, by Jesus himself. Before I get to that, I want to point out that the shofar was blown traditionally during the period of the Gospels, but not mentioned in Scripture because of the common practice of the shofar in Judaism. It was just a given. So if you're the type of person is, well, where is it at in Scripture? Well, we know that traditionally this happens in Judaism. And if you read it through the whole Old Testament, is a continuance in the New Testament. Nothing has changed. In the book of Joel, we see an obvious reference of Exodus chapter 19. Joel chapter 2, verse 1 reads, Blow the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. So as I said, the trumpet or shofar has great significance to it concerning the connection to its use. There is a succession of Jewish holidays and observances that must be understood in biblical order for the use of the shofar. We read of another event occurring in Scripture with the shofar. In the book of Joshua chapter 6 verse 20 was the blowing of the shofar and with a shout of the people, the walls of Jericho fell. But was it the horns and the shouting or was it the power of God? To understand this narrative from a chronological perspective, God is building the layers and the strands of the thread of a larger tapestry of an unfolding mystery. In Judaism, the spring feasts, they're deeply connected to an agricultural cycle with months, seasons, and new moons. Remember this because it will help you understand eschatology. So number one, Passover, Pesach. Number two, first fruits, Bikurim. And number three, Shavuot. Now I'm only naming three, but there's more. So in connection to these spring feasts, redemption, salvation, new beginnings, and fruitfulness. Concerning the shofar, 
it's not blown during the spring months or holiday observances. Tishri is the seventh month on the Jewish calendar, or September-October and our Gregorian calendar. When we read Leviticus chapter 23, verses 23 through 24, it reads, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. Also in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 26 through 27, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also, tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. There is more to this, but I want to point out the blowing of the shofar on the first day on the seventh month, which starts a succession of observances in Scripture. All of these feasts observances are in the fall, which is in the harvest season. These seasons and times, they have great significance in understanding God's word. Now concerning times and seasons, the Jews are really big on times and seasons, given the fact that how it is how God interprets his word to them in everyday life and in the cycles of the earth and which he had put into motion, which he reveals himself in, which is an incredible thing. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 3, it says, And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. The signs of the times here refer to Jesus' teachings and works manifested as the Messiah. And the Pharisees and Sadducees were asking for more proof, but it was in front of their eyes. I recently wrote an article called signs. I'm going to read it for you. What do we understand about signs? Jesus did not enter Jerusalem until Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 through 11, which happens to be the Lamb Selection Day in Scripture, accordance with Exodus chapter 12 verse 3 of the Passover, which was a sign. Before this, Jesus' ministry revolved around the Sea of Galilee. Jesus' healings and miracles were seen in the open and many eyewitnesses, including the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Yet some of the eyewitnesses to Jesus' miracles, they doubted. So these doubters ask for more signs. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 41, it reads, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the giant fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. So earlier in Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, it reads, now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. Matthew chapter 4 verse 18, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. The signs and the times were the prophetic scriptures fulfilled in Jesus' life as Messiah. Jesus' healings, miracles, and preachings, 
they were all a sign. The Pharisees of Matthew chapter 12 were shown the sign of Jonah of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ when the church grew in the very area Jesus' ministry was, Galilee. Acts chapter 9 verse 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. If you're seeking a sign, we already have them in the four Gospels of the fulfillment of the Old Testament, Hebrew Bible, prophecy as Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 24. I wrote that article in connection to my studies to this episode. So let me do a quick recap. Number one, trumpets or shofars. Number two, a few references to the history and the relevance of the shofar. Number three, the primary understanding of the shofar. And number four, shofar is used concerning God and holy convocations. There are 21 references to trumpet in the Gospels and Epistles. Fifteen of the trumpet references are in the book of Revelation. So when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 52 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16, you might now have a better perspective on the meaning and significance of the trumpet reference. More to come in the rapture part four. This is Pastor Frank. God bless.